guys don't know, I grew up in Alliance, Nebraska. It's just down the road from here. And uh, there's a lot of, of farming and ranching around Alliance. I grew up on a farm north of Alliance. But Alliance is really uh, known for being a railroad town. There's a big old diesel shop there that works on locomotives. And when you grow up in Alliance, there's a pressure on you to join the railroad right out of school. Uh, there's a lot of talk about how great the railroad is and how much they, they pay. Uh, they're, the, they're the highest paying job. It's, they have the highest paying jobs in town for your blue collar guy. And there's a lot of blue collar guys there. And uh, I remember um, just the, the pressure on me and my dad telling me, don't, don't be a farmer. You don't want to be a farmer. Farming's gambling. And uh, I saw the stress that farming put on, 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 on my family. It's, it's tough. And there's no benefits with it. I mean, you don't have retirement. You don't have you know, health care, dental, and vision. But you go to the railroad. There it is, right? And you hardly have to do anything, right? You just have to answer your radio every now and then and, and do something ridiculous and make 25 bucks an hour doing it. And uh, 25 bucks an hour was a lot. Ten years ago, it's not now. But um, get on the railroad because that's where the benefits are. They have a benefits package. And that's what attracts a lot of people to the railroad. And uh, I'm not a salesman for heaven by any means, but there does exist a heavenly benefits package in Christ. Okay, Everyone who has believed in Christ, who has experienced justification, they've been saved, justified, they are given many spiritual benefits. And we're going to look at seven of them just real briefly this morning. Um, by way of context, I remind us that Romans, uh, so far, Paul has explained man's need for righteousness, his need for justification. By the way, I don't have any notes or PowerPoint this morning, so this is fun. I was planning on doing that yesterday. You guys actually got to listen. You can't read and look at things. Isn't this great? It's a new day. So, um, Paul has explained man's need for righteousness, justification in Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 3. He has defended that doctrine from the Old Testament scripture um, by way of example of Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham was justified by faith before the law was even a thing, before circumcision, remember all that? And, uh, and so he's we're done with that. We're through that, chapter 4. And now, he's going to start out in chapter 5 with the word, therefore. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1, first word, therefore, which tells us what's therefore, therefore. He's, he's basically going to base what he says now in verses 1 through 11 on what he already said previously. That makes sense? Uh, so, he's going to base what he says today on what was already spoken and what was already taught. Justification is by faith. Therefore, we have a certain number of spiritual blessings or benefits. Uh, you see, you're going to see several indicative verbs in this section. Indicative being, in, just think of an indicator. This is an indicative of who you are in Christ. And he's gonna, these indicative verbs are going to be we have, we 
we stand, we, we're reconciled. Um, these benefits that Paul's going to share are important for us, um, um, for each believer to embrace because every believer struggles with questions like, and tell me if, if you have not struggled with these, okay? If you haven't, all right, come talk to me. We need to share the gospel with you. Um, but when I sin, does God still love me? I just sinned, right? I'm, I thought I was saved. I just sinned. Does God still love me even though I've sinned? Hey, you're not supposed to answer it yet, all right? Do I need to get saved all over again now that I've sinned? I mean, have I lost my salvation now? Do I need to come again and ask God to save me all over again? Um, is Christ really enough? Is he really enough? How secure is this faith thing? It's kind of ambiguous, right? I can't touch faith. I can't hold it in my hands. Is it secure? I mean, can I rest my eternal destiny on faith in Christ? Or do I need to do something more? Because I feel like I need to do something because I'm a sinner and I feel like I need to get right with God by doing something good or something. Okay? Can I rest my eternity on everything that he did on the cross for me? Tell me you haven't wrestled with those questions. Okay? They're good questions and, and uh, we're going to respond to them this morning basically with some clear theology. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, um, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult, we rejoice in our tribulations, Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were helpless, still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... Oh man, i got to repeat this one. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All God's people said, Amen. So Paul, notice, starts out with justification, having been justified by faith, and that's really the base point this morning for our argument. We have benefits based on our justification. Past tense, once for all, aorist tense, justification. Once you're justified, you are saved. You've been declared righteous before God. You have a perfect standing before God. No one can change that. Not even your, your worst days, 
can change that, okay? And uh, it's God who justifies us, not ourselves, not ourselves. So let's look at some benefits of this justification. Number one, we have peace with God. I just went to use my clicker to go to the next slide. Um, wow. Okay. Number one, we have peace with God, if you're taking notes. We have peace with God. In Romans 2, Paul, remember, he talked about how God's wrath is being poured out on sinners. Chapter 1, actually. It's being poured out now. You see it in our culture even. Wrath being poured out by the way things are going in our culture today. Number 2, he's, chapter 2, he, he talked about how we're storing up wrath for ourselves, like a future day of wrath for ourselves by our sin. And so, so we expect God to judge us because we're sinners, and everyone... Uh, whether they realize it or not, are at enmity with God, naturally. We are naturally enemies of God. Like, that's our original position. He's holy, we're not, therefore our sin makes us His enemy. He should judge us. And uh, for those who have believed in Christ, however, we have become His friends. The Bible says we've been reconciled to God. Reconciliation means to go from a state of war to peace, from a state of conflict to a state of friendship. That's true of all of us in Christ. We've gone from war to peace with God. Whether you realize it or not, you know, whether you feel like it or not, everyone who hasn't trusted Christ as their Savior, is at war with Him. And you need, to re you need to remedy that. You need to come to Christ and make peace with God through His Son. Otherwise, judgment awaits. Okay, all of us, I think, to understand this reconciliation thing, I think all of us at one point or another have, have been in conflict with someone else. We've experienced conflict. We're humans. There's conflict everywhere. You might think of a childhood friendship or a, a husband and wife, right? You get in an argument over something. You said some things you shouldn't have. You're left in a state of conflict. You're, uh, you're enemies. You're at odds with each other. However, in time, you, you, you come together and you say, you know, I shouldn't have said that. You were right. Or maybe, um, maybe I was right anyway and you were wrong, but I forgive you, right? Um, you're friends again. And, you know, that's possible between us and God through Christ. The forgiveness, the reconciliation, it's only available through Christ. He's the only way to have peace with God, positional peace. We don't always experience the peace of God, especially if we're living in sin or, you know, we're, we're in a, we find ourselves in, in, a, in a situation Kind of like yesterday, I'll be honest. Uh, when we're in the middle of that thing and my wife's laying there, I, it's like, I don't experience the peace of God in this moment, okay? But I have peace with God. And at the end of the day, when there's a life-threatening thing, that's what matters, is that you have peace with God through faith in His Son. Uh, secondly, we have obtained access to grace, verse 2. We have obtained access to grace, our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Another positional truth, right? All believers receive access to God's grace, and we are currently standing in it. 
Like, we have walked through the door of Christ, and we're standing in his grace. Isn't that amazing to think about? And we can approach the throne of grace anytime we want, Hebrews says. And, uh, man, that's been good to reflect on. That's the thing that stood out to me this week, I think, from this whole message is I have access to grace. We have grace for salvation, grace for sanctification. I'm just keeping it. I'm just going back to that grace daily, all the time, moment by moment, to get things, I <laughs> get that grace I need to live for him and do the difficult things he's calling me to do. So you can't stand before God on the basis of your own righteousness. Um, we need that grace to stand before him. And uh, thirdly, we have, here's the third we have, we have certain hope of coming glory. Certain hope of coming glory. Again, verse 2, because of this reconciliation that we have with God, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, we can be assured of our future glorification. Paul's going to talk about this more later. We have assurance of future glorification. A lot of people don't have that. They wonder if God's going to weigh their good deeds and bad deeds at the end of their life and say, oh, you did more good deeds and bad deeds or you just did enough. Now nah, I'll let you in. Right? They don't know if they're going to be glorified. They don't know if there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous and that they're going to receive glorified bodies like Christ and live with him forever. But we can have that assurance in Christ. Because he finishes what's he's, what he starts. If he saved you, he's going to sanctify you, and he's going to glorify you. You're going to spend eternity with him in glory. Right now, you know, our redemption is not complete yet. We have been forgiven. We've been born again. I, you know, we're making more progress in our Christian walk, some of us more than others. But we should... One day, here's the thing, we're, we're all going to be resurrected and given glorified bodies just like our Savior, and they're going to be sinless. Hallelujah. And because we have this hope, it impacts the now. Because we have the future hope, we can live differently now in our trials. Listen to what he says, verses 3 through 4. We exult, we rejoice in our tribulations. Why? Because... We know where we're going. So we have joy. Here's the fourth one. We have joy in tribulation. We have joy in tribulation. Knowing that we're going to spend eternity with God brings perspective to these stinky circumstances that we face, face in life, right? These awful, undesirable. I can't believe I just used the word stinky. But... These situations, we can have joy in them because of a couple of things. Number one, these trials are temporary. They are so temporary. I mean, our lives are like a, a blip on the radar that is, you know, everlasting radar. It's just a blip. And it's not going to go on forever. And that cuts back on our grumbling and despair and and uh, it allows us to develop our character, perseverance, character, hope. And uh, the second thing is that through the trials, we become more and more like our Savior. And that is the number one thing that 
we're supposed to be about right now, I think. You know, as far as our own development, we are to become more and more like Christ our Savior. That's what we're to be about. That's the purpose of sanctification, to become Christ-like. Sometimes we want to focus on the trials that we go through. We say, oh, no, not another trial. I can't believe it. I'm so tired of this. I can't believe this happened. But this is temporary, and God's going to use this to make me more like Jesus. Amen? When we, when we enter a trial, we should recognize we have all the grace we need to get through this thing. He gives us the grace we need. And this trial, this whatever it is, it's going to build our spiritual character. Number five is that we have the indwelling spirit. The fifth benefit in this heavenly benefits package is that we have the indwelling spirit of God. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I think another way of saying this is, is, is to say that our hope won't be proven to be an illusion. Our hope's not an illusion. It's not a vain hope. Um, it's going to be demonstrated as something real and something tangible and something that affects your day-to-day life. You can see hope in someone's life when they go through something hard, right? And you realize it is not just them giving them hope. I mean, this has to be supernatural. No one should react to a situation like this the way they are. But here they are. They still love God even though they're going through a tough time. Most people go through a tough time in this world and they want to point fingers at God and say, why did you do this? The Holy Spirit allows us to love God even in difficulties and to worship Him through it. And that is tangible hope, almost tangible hope. God's Spirit in us. We'll look at more at the Spirit's ministry in chapter 8. He, he's with us. He helps us pray with groanings too deep for words. Amen. In verses 6 through 8, uh, we, we dive into God's love for us. This is the basis for our security. But uh, it's God's love, the basis for our security. Number 6, the sixth benefit is we have evidence of God's love for us. We have evidence of God's love for us. Where do you look for the evidence? On the cross, right? It says, while we were helpless at the right time, Christ had died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, you know, generally speaking, a good, good, decent human being, does a lot of good in the world. Maybe he's a philanthropist or whatever, and does good deeds, a good man. Someone might die for that guy. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, murderers on death row, he still died for us. He still took our place. So look at this word helplessness. Uh, helplessness in verse 6 is a complete helplessness. It's, it, it denotes a total inability. We're totally helpless to save ourselves. Nothing we could do to remedy it. The, the, the conflict between us and God. And that's why he stepped in. And he met us in our helplessness through Christ and, and made that possible. Um, I think we've all been in situations that we cannot remedy on our own. Maybe you climbed the top of the house, you know, you climbed up on the roof and you were putting Christmas lights up and your, the wind blew your ladder down. 
Ever done that? Help, right? Somebody save me. I can't get down, right? Or maybe you were caught in between something or something, you know, like, I don't know, you were underneath something heavy and you couldn't move it in your own strength. You got hurt. You couldn't move on your own. You had to call for help. You know that, that commercial, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. My dad used to call me and say that all the time. Kind of miss that. But he got older. As he got older, I said, Dad, you're getting older. You better not do that anymore. You cry wolf long enough. I'm not going to come save you. But um, as sinners, we find ourselves, ourselves helpless. We're caught underneath the weight of our sin, and we're in a position that we can't get out of on our own. No amount, no amount of good works or religious works can save us from the penalty of our sins. No promise of obedience, saying, God, I'm going to do it right this time. I'm going to obey this time. Forget it. It's too late. You've been judged by the law. Guilty as charged. You, all you can do is call for help. All you can do is cry out to Jesus Christ to save you. If you haven't done that, I'd encourage you to do that this morning. He, he'll lift that burden. He'll set you free. He, he's an all-powerful God. He can lift you out of anything. Then Paul demonstrates the extravagance of this love by saying, right, one might die for a good man, but to die for sinners, for those who deserve death, that's incredible, isn't it? That's unfathomable love. And just to get the tiniest taste of what this is like, we can think of a convicted serial killer standing guilty in a courtroom. And uh, he's worthy of death. This guy has killed several people. Maybe he's mauled people to death. Think about it. He's standing there in his orange suit, and he's guilty as charged. He's getting ready to go to the, you know, the, the penitentiary for the rest of his life. He's going he's gonna to get the chair. No one wants to die for that man, do they? He killed people. Who's going to die for this guy? He's not a good man. What this is saying is that Jesus would even die for a guy like that and take his punishment. That kind of love is unheard of. That's unconditional love, saying, I'm going to love this person no matter what they've done. You need that kind of love to get through marriage, don't you? This is Jesus, what he did for us, saying, you know what? I'm going to take this, this murderer, this sinner, and I'm going to take his place even though he doesn't deserve it and that's God's love for us there's no rival to this kind of love nobody has this kind of love but God and we can't even grasp it how deep it is that's how secure we are we're secure in his love so number seven is that we have assurance of salvation seventh benefit is assurance of salvation Verses 9 through 11. We see this in the way that Paul uses a, it's a rabbinical, you know, like a rabbi. Uh, you know, like Christians have pastors, Jews have rabbis. Well, this is a rabbinical method of logic that Paul uses in these verses where he's moving from the lesser to the greater, from the easier to the harder. And he's going to prove the easier by the harder. And so, think about this. If God was willing to save us while we were still enemies, 
right? Which is the harder thing to do, logically speaking. He saved us while we were his enemies. Um, if he did that hard thing, then he's not going to forsake us who have become his friends. I mean, if he was willing to save us while we were his enemies, how much more than while we're his friends? Does that make sense? It's, it's a wonderful logic. Paul is a genius. But if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? What a concept. See how secure you are in Christ as a believer? We are his friends and irrevocably so. Irrevocably. You cannot not be his friend now. You're going to be his son. You've become his son. He's not going to, um, he's not going to sell you. He's not going to abandon you. You're his son forever. Now, if you sin, right, you can still be disciplined by God, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Hebrews 12 says, even in his discipline of you, he's demonstrating his love for you because he wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. So, one of the, pass- one of the strongest passages here, I think, on eternal security, and uh, I've just never realized that, that this is one of the strongest passages on eternal security. And the only reason I realize it this week is because I'm preaching through it. And that's why I love expository preaching. But we have been justified. We've been saved. We've been made right with God. We're, we're his friends. We have peace with God. Unbelievable, isn't it? I just want to finish this sermon now. Um, if, you, if you need some more uh, Bible verses for assurance of salvation, if you're wrestling with that, um, you don't know for sure whether you're going to heaven or not type of thing. If you say you've believed in Christ, but you're not really sure. You don't have that assurance yet. I want you to to look up John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, right? He gave his only sons the, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say you, you might have it, I'm not really sure, you might have it for a while. And you, no, it says you have everlasting life. Uh, there's another one, John 5.24. It says, everyone who has believed in Christ, right, if you've... Trusted me, you have passed out of death into life. It doesn't, there's no halfway point. You're either in death or you're in life. You're not in purgatory, okay? Uh, you're not halfway between life and death. You have passed out of spiritual death into spiritual life. You're either in one or the other. So, 1 John 5.11 is the other one. 1 John 5.11 through 13. Uh, write these down, memorize them. This one right here was crucial in my uh, spiritual journey as a brand new believer. 1 John 5, 11 through 13 says, The testimony of God is this, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. And I've written these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. So if you have the Son, you have the life. There's no like, well, if you have the Son, you might kind of have the life. No, it's, it's really, really clear. You either have the Son or you don't. You either have life or you don't, based on your acceptance of Christ. But uh, let's finish this sermon with a benediction from Jude 124. Jude is the book right before... 
Revelation. This is a benediction. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. All God's people said,